Hello and welcome to Emerge, Evolve, Lead, a podcast for people in recovery from addiction who want to be better leaders. I got clean and sober when I was 24, and then I started my corporate career. After several decades, I left that job and created Emerge Leadership Academy, where I train leaders and coach people in recovery who are ready to step up in their career. My name is Maureen Rosgem, and I'll be your host. My guest today is Dan Reeves, who I met on Clubhouse a few months ago, and he also has a podcast called The Spiritual Underground, in which he featured me and my story just recently. Dan had a corporate career as an engineer for most of his adult life, but alcoholism took him down a dark road. Threatened with 6 to 20 years of incarceration, he had the gift of desperation and turned his life over to God. His sentence is reduced to one year at home, and now he stepped into leadership, running a men's retreat and helping many in recovery. Welcome, Dan. I am so happy to have you on the podcast today. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic today. I've been looking forward to it. Uh, a little bit of nervousness. I have no idea why I'm nervous when I'm nervous when I do my own podcast. So uh, <laughs> uh, I guess it's just a little butterflies in the stomach. It's a little natural. Let's start off by, I would like to know, what is the name of your podcast? It is called the Spiritual Underground Podcast. And it is named after my 12-step home group, which is where it was founded in the beginning, where a number of us were talking about putting together a podcast. And uh, I ended up kind of like the last man standing in a sense. Well, I really, really appreciate you stepping up and doing that. And another thing that I appreciate that I've learned about from listening to your podcast is that, and it's the same thing that was in my heart, is that there are so many people out in the world that are not in recovery, nor are they addicts and alcoholics that need a 12-step program so they can learn to live life. We have so many addictions and so much variety. And that's, in fact, that's the reason I wrote my book three years ago initially was to give people a program who didn't have a program. But, you know, now I, we cross all lines and I just love it. Yeah. So before we get started, I do want to hear about your story. Um, but I would like to know, what do you do for a living? What, what is your family like? Do you know you have any uh, hobbies or things like that that you want us to know? So part of my recovery story is, is that I got uh, bored in corporate America. I was, I was an engineer for 28 years. And, um, and uh, as we say in the recovery circles, God did for me what I couldn't do for myself because I couldn't let go of that security blanket, the 401k account, the health benefits and everything. And uh, in April of 2019, they laid me off. And, uh, and, yeah. and I was, yeah, and I was, uh, they did me very well. They gave me a severance package and another way to get something going. And for the previous years before that, I had started into doing, a, I built a wood shop in my backyard and I'm really handy. My dad has taught me to fix everything. So I just fell into uh, woodworking and handyman business that I do on my own. And uh, that's, that's what is my livelihood today. I come to your house and fix the broken things around your house and cool. uh, the cabinet doors is not working or the bedroom door that won't shut or, you know, any number there's really, uh, I, I tell people, they will ask me uh, what I do. And I tell them there's really nothing I can't fix. Yeah. Um, Cause you're an engineer. Yeah, You're like and, MacGyver, huh? Yeah. And my dream really is, is to have this woodworking thing going is getting it. Cause that's really where my passion lies is to be waking up in the morning, make a cup of coffee, go, go out to the wood shop and create beautiful pieces of furniture out of wood. And beautiful. it seems, uh, you know, as the universe seems to do, uh, 
you were talking about having this 12 step foundation when I placed this at, at the bottom of my, of my so-called career, uh, I take certain actions and allow the universe to do the rest. And, you know, as I'm out in people's houses, fixing their stuff and they like what I'm doing and they're happy with my work, I get to tell them that I also do woodwork and they go, Oh, well, we were thinking about having, and, and yeah. I get a lot of leads. So, uh, you know, um, I, I, my 12 step background makes me real conscious about using words that would alienate people like God, but I just use that word no different than I would if I had a box of tissues and I called it a Kleenex. Uh, it's just that power that it is. It's a real easy word to say. Uh, so, you know, God is putting me in these people's houses and, and allowing me to uh, promote myself and my, what my real passion is in the woodworking. Perfect. Yeah, I love it. You know, my husband is also a woodworker and he uh, first he's shifted in and out of things uh, in our lifetime together. But what I mean by that is he was into um, building drums and flutes, Native American style mm. flutes, and also um, Afro-Cuban style drums and Native American drums and all of that. And then he shifted into furniture, like chairs and tables. And we have lots of pieces in our house. Um, and also then he shifted into canoes and kayaks and boats. Oh, and wow. yeah, we have built cool. boats. And yeah, so it's amazing. But unfortunately, it did a it, it did a job on his lungs. You haven't been doing it all your life, but be careful. For I've that. heard that. Yeah, I try to yeah. I try to wear a respirator, and I don't do a good enough job at that. Yeah. So and I really it. have been doing it all my life to some extent. The uh, tool, some of the tools in my shop are were my grandfather's. They're old tools that were in my grandfather's shop that were then my father's and that are now mine. Cool. Uh, I've, I've cut my, I tell people I've cut my finger on those, uh, on some of those tools when I was a, a little bitty guy. <laughs> yeah. And you know, um, there's something to be said for that. We Paul calls it the sacrifice. He actually cut off his pinky, the top of, oh, he wow. planed it, he yeah. planed his mm -hmm. pinky off. And so then he kept for a long time, he kept the little piece of bone in a bag around his neck. <laughs> oh, wow. Like a, a talisman. Yeah. You do have to sacrifice if you're going to be a woodworker. So it sounds yeah, like really fun. So give yeah. us in like, you know, just five minutes or less. How did you figure out you were an alcoholic? What happened and how did you get into sobriety? So, uh, and I do this podcast, so I have a thing where I have bell ringers and I hear people say the same things over and over again. You know, I had my first taste of, of alcohol at around 14 years old. That seems to be about where people, you know, that's that, if I hear one number more than any others, it's that. Yeah. And instantly, uh, it was like the golden key. It was allowed me to feel the way that I thought I was supposed to be feeling <laughs> the whole time where this thing about not feeling like I'm enough, not feeling like I fit in, being scared to talk to the girls, all this, all the cliche kind of things. And it just set me off on a, on a deal. And I, you know, I got a DUI when I was 16. I didn't have my driver's license, but like six months. And I had my first DUI. I had another one when I was 19, I got court ordered to go to AA, but I was nowhere in any kind of uh, way to, uh, to, to be ready as we say. And, um, and then I went like 20 years with no consequences really other than just personal stuff. You know I mean? I know there were consequences, but no real glaring ones. I got married. I had 2.3 kids. I bought a house. We had two cars in the garage. I had a career of over 20 years you and, functioning uh, alcoholic. yeah. And I would, you know, and, and I could say when I looked in the mirror, wondering if I had a problem, cause lots of times I did would look at myself and like, Dan, you have got to get a handle on this stuff. Uh, and, and, but I would tell myself that the alcoholic doesn't have what I'm having, you know, all the things that I have, you wouldn't, you know, it's not a problem at the moment. Uh, 
And the alcohol stopped working for me sometime around 2005. And uh, my mom had a bottle of pain pills sitting next to her bed after a surgery. And, uh, and she had always been dabbling in those things, but I never really paid any attention to them except for that night. And, uh, and I shook a couple of those pills out and took them in the, and, and that magic, that golden key that had happened at 14 had long, long ago stopped. And then, uh, it worked again, boom. And then I went into a pain pill addiction, uh, that finally ended up having me, uh, getting suspended from work because failing, uh, urine tests and, a number of things rolled down. I ended up losing my, that marriage. Uh, I had a little bit, I got a little bit of a period of sobriety. And then when she saw Dan sober and then she really liked to sober Dan. And when Dan wasn't sober anymore, she was not willing to do that anymore. And so that, that, that marriage ended. And uh, when I have a pain pill supply and the doctors quit working for me, I started breaking in houses and stealing pain pills. And I was, you know, and I really did have a Jekyll and Hyde kind of thing. Cause if you looked at me, you would probably never have thought that I was sneaking around at night, breaking in houses and shoot. Sometimes I did in the daytime. Uh, and I got caught. I, I, I got caught. And I stood in front of a judge down in uh, New Omni, Indiana, my hometown, and told me I was going to uh, uh, let the, uh, I can almost say it verbatim, the punishment for the crimes I had committed, the standard sentencing guidelines are six to 20 years in the Indiana Department of Corrections. And uh, yeah, that's to say the least of what I said when that happened. (laughs) And, you know, there's a lot of other things like my mom is sitting in that courthouse with me crying, you know when that, when that judge said that, and they took me off in handcuffs and all that, uh, you know, the, the amount of pain I was inflicting on other people was coming to roost, you know, up to now I was hurting, you know, we say, I ain't hurting anybody but myself. Right. And, uh, and some things like that started coming home to roost where I was seeing the pain that I was, uh, inflicting on, on the people that were around me, my kids, you know, I would like to tell you that I was a good dad, but I couldn't do what I was doing and be a, be a good dad. Uh, and that started coming home to roost. And uh, from the time of my arrest to my current sobriety date is still six months. And that really drove home too, because I still, even with those consequences sitting on me, I still couldn't stop. Yeah. I still couldn't stop. I was trying to make everybody think, and I was going to recovery meetings and I was doing this thing I call pretending to be sober and, uh, and trying to check all the boxes and, and do all the things that, uh, frankly, what I was trying to do was stay out of prison. You know, that's what I was trying to do. But if they'd have caught me drinking one time, boom, you know, the, the, you know, I was out on bail. You, you oh. can't, you can't do that. <laughs> uh, my, I would not have been spending my time out on the streets doing my stuff. I'd have been in court, in jail waiting for my trial date is what would have happened. Uh, so all that came, you know, become real apparent what all was happening in a very short amount of time. Uh, and, and I would say that's where I actually decided what I, way I say it is, is I finally pushed all my chips into the middle of the table in recovery, because until then, all I was doing was just try to ante up the $2 here and there, you know, uh, but, but, but I finally ended up shoving all my chips to the middle of a table and, uh, you know, uh, we won't go into it big time here, but it's a pretty fantastic story about the way that I met my sponsor and how my life shifted when I turned my will and my life over to the care of that man. And I really did. I rocketed into that fourth dimension. I was, uh, I got, I ended up getting sentenced to one year of home incarceration, 
I got here's what I got sentenced to three years, one year on home incarceration, one year on probation and the third uh, suspended pending successful completion of the other two. So it would go away if I did the other two. I ended up getting off of home incarceration and after nine months, which I felt very grateful for uh, that, that home incarceration itself was a huge uh, uh I'm grateful for that today because it, it took a lot of the ifs and what's out of my equation. when I was in early sobriety, whether if I was going to go try to go to the wedding reception and stay sober, if I was going to, you know, all that stuff, all those little things that I hear in the rooms about. Yeah. uh, But my friend's bachelor party is this weekend and they've invited me and I really want to go, you know, all that was taken right off the table. And kind of like gave you a dry run of 2020. It did. Yeah, it did. (laughs) It, it did. It put a, it yeah, put a big insulation pillow around me that yeah. protected me from having a lot of the things a lot of people need to deal with in early recovery. So all I had time to do was they let me go to work. They let me go to recovery meetings, which I went to a lot because when you want to get out of the house, you'll go to a lot of meetings. Yeah. And, uh, and they allowed me to take my kids to point A and point B when they had dance or scouts or, or that kind of thing. So that's really what my life got whittled down to recovery, maintaining my job. Uh, at that time they were eight and 10, I think if my math is right. So I've been, uh, in January, I celebrated six years. Okay. So they're older teenagers now. Yeah, they're, they're now 15 and 17. Okay. Nice. All right. So you got into sobriety, thank God, because it sounds like that was definitely the place for you to be. And why do you think you made it? Like how, you know, what has been a, a couple of the top things, a cause for your recovery? It sounds like your sponsor for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, I did uh, that, that meeting where, you know, my bell was rang. You know, I, I walked into a meeting that, uh, that a guy had been telling me about for some time. You ought to come to this meeting with me. You ought to come to this meeting with me. And I kept on, you know, another thing I've noticed over my time here, man, is that uh, when it's my idea, it's a good idea. And when it's your idea, it's not a good idea. You know, we try to hand this stuff to people and it's rejected. Uh, and uh, I, but I finally went to that meeting and I heard a bunch of men because that was another thing. I didn't see any sense in going to men's only meetings. My, I'd been divorced. Uh, that just didn't make a lot of sense to me. And I went into this men's meeting and I heard these guys talking and they were talking a recovery I could get with. You know, it was not uh, they were talking about life and they were all laughing and smiling. And and although I'd seen pockets of that in my journeys in recovery, I had not seen people be consistent with it. And I heard a man sharing and he was just touching my soul when he shared. And I wanted that dude to be my sponsor. And we do a thing in that meeting where we raise our hands. They say, oh, everybody willing to sponsor somebody, raise their hand. Yes. And this guy never raised his hand. Oh. He never raised his hand and he never raised his hand. And, uh, and one day I come in there and I was doing that thing, pretending to be sober, that everything was okay. And, uh, one day it was not okay. I'd been to court earlier that day. Normally I would drink from the time I got out of court until I went to bed that night to squash that guilt and remorse and shame. And, uh, it was that I had a court date on a Tuesday and I knew if I drank, I wouldn't go to that meeting. And I swear to you that I thought, man, if I don't go to that meeting, that'll be the night that guy raises his hand. And, uh, <laughs> and I went to that meeting and they did a burning desire. And for the first time I dumped my bucket in the middle of the floor in front of all those men and told them where I was at and explained to them these, cause at that time I was, they were, they were telling me I was going to go to prison for six years. They were going to give me the minimum sentence. And, oh, damn. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, and so I had a lot on me and I dumped it out. And, uh, right after that, that those guys come around me, like I see in so many AA meetings and told me things like, uh, if you do go to jail, we'll come visit you. Uh, if you're on, uh, 
but one thing they said, and somebody said, you know, his, a guy said, my experience is that people who go work these steps and practice these principles in their lives, those people don't go to jail. And I remember hearing that and I didn't really believe it, but it sunk. It, it hit me and it landed. And directly after that meeting, that man that I, that was never raised his hand, walked directly up to me after the meeting and told me he wanted to be my sponsor. God works in mysterious ways. <laughs> yeah, and he's still my sponsor now. And, we're, and, and the whole relationship has developed into a whole different thing where we are today best friends and, uh, and close confidants. And actually, while I was sitting here waiting for the Zoom to come up, he had sent me a message that I was getting ready to listen to uh, right when, when the Zoom came alive. Yeah. Well, you know, it'll be there when you get done, right? Yep, it will be. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> yep. And, you know, know, the bottom line is, is I worked these steps and I did what this man told me to do. And even though I didn't think the stuff he would tell me would work and I didn't understand why I was doing some of the writing I was doing, uh, I, I had a desperation in me that was the only that was the only path I could see out from my circumstances. That was even though I didn't think it would work. It was the only path laid there. And, and I, and I just poured my heart into it and did it. And in about four months, you know, I worked these steps and, and I would say, tell you that I was free after four months. Now I had five more months of wearing an ankle bracelet, <laughs> but, uh, but you when you had a transformation, it did it transform you had the gift of desperation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which if I could give anybody that it'd be, I've heard another speaker say this, it'd be a, uh, 500 cc's right in the rear end of desperation because there's nothing that will have you hopping onto the recovery bandwagon faster. <laughs> no kidding. And it doesn't even, even, even in the beginning though, when you first heard about that sentence, it didn't scare you straight. You still nope, didn't. played around with it for a while, but then when it finally came right down to it, it does. It's like, wait a minute, it, you know, that God consciousness wakes you up in your mind and says, if not now, then when? You know, yep. you, you yep. want to do it in prison? What the F? You know, you can yep. do it right now, right here. Yep. With and the clock was ticking down. wants to help you. Yeah. 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 And the clock was ticking down and I look at God's timing or whatever the universe is timing and how, you know, I, I, the clock, you know, it was six months from my arrest. It was getting to be time to be getting, you know, uh, cut bait or fish. It was coming down to sentencing time. Right. And, uh, and then some magic happened, you know, and, and, and they didn't know I'm working the steps and they didn't know I had a sponsor. The judge didn't care about any of that. Uh, and my lawyer wasn't proclaiming any of that, but all of a sudden they started opening up to some negotiation on some lighter sentencing, like home incarceration. And one of the reasons they wasn't going to let me do home incarceration is because the house I got caught breaking into was across the street from, I can see it right now. It's this house across the street from me. So they weren't going to let me do home incarceration here because I was breaking in the house across the street. <laughs> wow. um, yeah. And I ended up doing my home incarceration in my own home over some other circumstances. And uh, it's all, it's what I, what I call today is miracles that have happened in my life as a result of me taking this path. And Divine there's no, there's, yeah, there's no other way to explain these things. The, the, no, the, I totally agree. And the fact that you put it out there that you were willing to transform those, you know, that energy, it does speak to the source of all that is it totally does. And so I think that's how things change all the time. We've seen many, many people in these rooms uh, who are walking miracles, like they shouldn't even be alive, right? Um, there were several times I, I actually once spoke at a um, near death experiences, you know, near death experience meeting, because I believe that I, ex I escaped death several times, like three or four that I can think of. 
you know, almost killed or almost this or almost didn't, you know, wake up after that one or almost got in the car with somebody who did, you know, that kind of thing. And um, I'm just, you know, now we live in gratitude, right? So tell me, Dan, um, do you, I know in your career that you spent a lot of time in corporate and now you're out and free, as I call it, because I also spent 27 years in corporate and I've been uh, freed since 2013, which has been so wonderful not to have to wake up and go to that job. But I still do train uh, leaders in that environment because I think that we have learned so many things in our own recovery that really translate well into leadership. And I believe that recovering people make really good leaders because mm -hmm. we listen we're empathetic. We are dependable and trustworthy now because we've learned to um, show up for ourselves and take good care of ourselves so that we can give that to other people. We develop ourselves and we can develop others. You do a lot of develop, helping other people, developing other people. Can you tell me some of the things that you've learned in sobriety that translate well into that leadership for you? Well, from the leadership standpoint, you know, I always found myself as I look back, you know, a lot of what we're doing here is like looking in the rearview mirror and seeing why, you know, I understand why something happened now, or I see something with a different pair of glasses uh, than what I used to. And, and, but until I was sober and could actually stand in my own two feet with this, uh, it most some integrity, uh, not until then could I actually be effective in leadership. Uh, once I could actually love myself and people knew that, and have the confidence that what I was saying, uh, I just couldn't do that, uh, you know, back in those days, although I had opportunities and I remember some like sparks got fanned once in a while where I had these opportunities to, to, uh, to provide some leadership, but it never could pan out because of that cloud that followed me. You know, I just couldn't, I didn't have any staying power. Today, I sponsor a lot of people. That's one of the things, and and uh, and I love to do that. I love to take people through this work and 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 share my story with them. That where I came from and the magic that happened, those miracles that happened in my life, that can actually happen for you too. That there is no limit. There's one of the things that I love now is that I do not believe there's a ceiling anymore. Uh, I don't use words like this can't happen. You know, uh, a lot of times that's what people come in and they have some, their pile, their troubles are piled up so deep. They can't hardly think of solving them all. And, uh, and the cool thing about this program is, is that, uh, we usually don't have to solve those problems. Those solve problems seem to resolve themselves when we point our life's energy in this other direction. Uh, that is just so cool that the, how these things just fix themselves. I totally it's, agree. Uh, you know, it feels a little arrogant. I hate to, but to, uh, so I, I stop, stop for a minute, but I'm very confident dude now. And I know that what I'm, what I'm delivering, I know this works and it's yeah. not a thing where I'm going to be sitting there with you saying, man, you can do this. And I hope it works for you uh, because I have a track record too of, of, of people. And I can introduce you to those people. If you don't believe me here, me, Chase here, meet Vlad, meet, you know, they will tell you uh, yes. what happened for them too. And that's the power of that group of people that we're still together with, but that confidence and that knowing that uh, whatever this power is uh, and, and I still don't know what this higher power thing is. I would never be able to like begin to say that I know, but what I do know 
is that something is working in my life as a result of attaching myself to it that is bringing blessings into my life because there's no other reason how these things work. Everything just works out for Dan nowadays. You know, when I need a big job, I get a big job and it just walks down the street and knocks on my door. And this confidence that this higher power is working in my life for my good uh, allows me to carry that confidence that delivers other people to, uh, to follow me. That's fantastic. And I, I agree that um, once you really turn like your will in your life over and you practice this trust and this faith, then the right people show up at the right time. Or if something happens and there's a part of my body that breaks down and I have to have an operation, I always think, well, I'm in the right hands with the right person at the right time. I, and turning that over is a, is a deep way that I use my spirituality, even in all my relationships. And if somebody comes along that triggers me, like, oh, that hurt, or they said something mean or whatever I think that might have happened, um, is an opportunity to say, oh, spirit wants me to look at something. That spiritual axiom, you know, how we say, well, when there's something, when I perceive something wrong with you, then most likely there's something wrong with me. And it's helped me and allowed me to go back in and look at uh, what is that trigger? Why am I triggered? Why am I giving my power away to this other person? Oh, I know it's something that happened in my past and I still haven't healed it. And so then I, I work on healing that. And so now I just view all relationships as an opportunity to um, increase and expand my own spirituality. Does yeah. that make sense? Yep. Makes yeah. perfect sense. Yes. And, you know, uh, and, and I, another thing I say is that, you know, I don't really see me that well. So when you talk about looking inside you, I don't really have that, but what I got is a guy that helps me see that. And that's my sponsor. I have somebody that I can run these things through as long as I, you know, can be open and honest and have that dialogue going with him. Uh, I let him into my life and he see things in me that I don't see. And that's where I really find another dynamic that goes on because I just don't see me that good. Well, yeah. Have you ever heard of that Johari's window? Uh -uh. This is something I teach a lot in my leadership classes. So for just a quick example, Johari is like Joe and Harry from Harvard actually put this model together. So they called it Johari. And there's that one corner of the window that says, here's things you know about me and here's things I know about me. It's public information. Everybody can see I'm a middle-aged white woman who, you know, stands up in front of classes and trains for just giving you an example or yeah. who might be a mom or something. And then there's the things that um, I hide from you. You don't see about me, but I know them about me. Like, like it might be the fact that I have the disease of alcoholism if I'm keeping that secret, or it might be that the fact that I just really don't like Brussels sprouts. <laughs> there's some things that you don't know about me. And then there's a third window of the things that you don't know about me, nor do I know about me. We might think, I might think I know how I react in such and such a crisis, but then when the crisis actually hits, I do something completely different. You know, there's just unknown things about yeah, us that sense. we just don't know about. And the fourth window is that which you know about me, but I can't see it. I don't, I'm blind to it. And that's why we need other people's perspective. And as leaders, that's why we need other people's feedback. And we have to be open to that. And the only way you can get really good, honest feedback is to also share yourself and share who you are. 
and let you know what your perception is about yourself. And most leaders don't do that. You know, they keep things close to their chest. They think Mm -hmm. they're just handing out assignments and doling stuff out. But in truth, they need more feedback. And so in AA or in any kind of program, right, we get that when we have a sponsor. But some people, we're all just people in this program too. Some people don't have those kinds of skills, but we learn it over time. And if the good people, like the good people, I shouldn't say that because we're all good people, yeah, but right. those people that raise their hand in the meeting and say, I will help a sponsor, you know, and sometimes they don't, and sometimes they don't. And, they, and then you finally see somebody, because I'm like that now as a coach, I don't sponsor. I still have four people I sponsor because if somebody asks me, so it's hard for me to say no, especially if I really know that I can, you know, I can help this person because I resonate with them or they see something. And that's when the energies match up, right? That's when I think that's the God spiritual energy that helps us be attracted to each other for, you know, a short or a long period in time. Yeah. But anyway, well, that's man, a little bit this about man. Johari's window. Yeah, I like that. I'll have to look into some more of that. And I should say that I've come to find out that this, my sponsor is actually is works in the field of recovery. So he has to be careful about his relationship and how he sponsors and that out. And, and, and he was, you know, keeping a boundary between his professional life in recovery and his private personal recovery. So that was the reason that he didn't raise his hand. He would, you know, do like he did. And when he, somebody, somebody sparked his interest and he would, uh, he would felt fine to approach them. Yeah, Yeah, I was a very lucky guy. And I chalked that up to another miracle. And I walked out of that church that night and I, and I distinctly remember looking up to the stars that something I don't understand and thinking something just happened in my life. And I, and I, and I just felt that shift, you know, and I hadn't even done anything yet, except for said yes to this man. Yeah. And sometimes that's it. Um, And and you were talking earlier too about um, saying no, saying yes and saying no. Um, Really one of the big skills that I've learned in recovery is when you know it's a no, you can feel it in your body Mm -hmm. and you have to be true to yourself and say no when it's a no. And other times it's a, it's a hell yes. And you feel it like what don't, ignore yourself or those kinds of feelings and move forward because that's when the magic happens a yeah. lot of the times. Yeah. yeah. And I've been part of a couple other things. And then, you know, one of the other things that recovery did, it, op- it opened me up to allow other stuff to come in. You know, I've, I've, I've played everything pretty close to the chest, as you said, and recovery opened me up and opened my eyes like uh, to, to look into other things. And since being in recovery, I've been a part of this pro- this thing called the mankind project where it's men helping men become better men. And it has a lot of this safe container talk that where we, you know, you have to ante up in here in order to get, you know, like you were saying a minute ago about, I have to show my hand in order to receive the power that this group can do together because we are more powerful together than we are individually. And I learned to open up and I also learned the understanding about what this safe and tight container that what I share here stays here, you know, and then I have to be able to trust every guy in this circle or a gal or every person in the circle that they're going to keep a confidence uh, about what gets shared here so that therefore then I can be vulnerable and open up stuff that maybe I don't want to. And, uh, and I also am a 200 hour registered yoga teacher. That's also something else. And you couldn't, oh, even, cool. you couldn't even, you couldn't have begun to tell me that I was going to do that prior to recovery. If I if you'd <laughs> said someday you're going to be a yoga teacher, I think I'd punch you in the nose. <laughs> and, uh, and, but that was a lot of like uh, a lot of the lessons about because coming to yes, you know, and, and, yeah. 
working with my intention in my body and my breath and feeling what's going on around me in order to trust my own intuition. And when, you know, when things are hell yeses and when things are no's and when things are maybes, usually that means I need to consult my support group and my sponsor and say, Hey, I'm a little bit interested in this. What do you think? Uh, and, and, and use those resources around me. Yeah. Yoga changed my life. It up my, the, uh, in my course of recovery, I don't know of one thing that actually leveled me up, uh, as much as, as a, as a yoga practice did. Very Just, cool. There's a, and, there's a 12 step. There's a, in the, uh, Nikki Myers is actually in clubhouse. Um, I saw her the other day and took a minute to thank her for having that impact on me because that's how I found yoga was through her Y12 SR, which is combining the, uh, ancient teachings of yoga with the spiritual teachings of 12 step philosophy and bringing them together in one meeting. And that's, that's perfect. what got me in a yoga meeting. Cause otherwise I'm not going. <laughs> How cool is that? Oh, not, you know, so back cool. then, right? It tricked me. And that's another thing. I look at how many times I was like tricked into going places that I didn't really want to go. That turned out to be these fantastic places for me. Yeah. Well, that's, that's really amazing. My um, husband too, both of us have like 36 years in recovery now. And he found yoga about three years ago. And, but men's group, he found 30 years ago. And he has learned so much how to do the work and that, and really getting in touch with the deep masculine and all of the different archetypes and yep. that, and he goes to a conference twice a year. Or so, um, and, and, and he's been on the organizing committee for that conference and helping other men to get in touch and be okay in all shapes and forms and with emotions and all the yin and the yang, I'll tell you, it doesn't happen in mainstream America. It doesn't. So I'm glad that you're in, the, the practices that you're in. I would love to ask you if you had some advice to give to somebody in recovery who wanted to step into leadership, what would you get say? Well, you know, one of the three corners of, uh, of recovery, you know, of the, the triad around uh, a 12 step program is, uh, you know, recovery, unity, and service and services will allow you to walk in that door. I think that's the whole piece for that. I think that's why that door is there because I can start by raising my hand and saying yes to stuff like putting up the chairs or making the coffee. And I can begin to start to uh, put myself out there in a position where I can be useful, you know, and, and you can't go from zero to 60 in that kind of position, you know, in, in, you know, from being uh, down and out drunk to leader, you know, it's a journey, right? Yeah. But I think service is the best door to start doing that because, well, you know, uh, some of this stuff, it seems uh, so, you know, like, like service is going to get me seen, right? They're going to say, hey, look over at Dan, he's doing something good. And I'm going to feel good about myself because I'm doing something good. And other people are going to respect me because I'm doing something good. And that's going to raise my vibration, whether if I want it to or not, you know, and then it raises me to another level. And I want that feeling again, right? And so then I'll go, okay, I'm also going to chair the meeting next week. You know, can I do that? You know, and then, and then that's really exactly how my leadership thing, that's a path of my leadership of going, okay, I'm going to be here anyway. What can I do to help and, yeah. and start doing that? And before long, you know, I host, I have a annual men's retreat where I have 20, 30 guys down to my camp out in the country. And we do this men's work together, you know, and, and, and all of a sudden I'm leading that, you know, and I sit down at the chair, my chair at the head, and I got all these guys sitting there staring at me, waiting for me to produce magic, you know, <laughs> to, to, to provide what they came for, you know, and all that just evolved really from the beginning of just stepping out into some service and saying yes to some things. 
one step at a time. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. And and really trust in the process, right? It It'll is. bring trust you where you process. need to go. So if you could say if that you learned, what lesson did you learn from 2020? If you had, what was the biggest thing you got out of being in pandemic lockdown? That you're only as locked down as you want to be. That there is no real lockdown. You just have to shift gears and connect in new ways. And there's a bunch of new avenues and ways to stay connected. I, I remember hearing some of my friends uh, kind of poo-pooing and crying and whining in a corner that they can't go to their meetings anymore and they can't, they can't do this and they can't do that. And, and when you start setting up limits of what you can't do, you will go in that same spiral. That'll be the opposite of my service example, where I spiraled up into service, you'll spiral down and just all this, you know, I can sponsor people through this medium we're using here for the podcast. You know, I can, uh, we can have meetings, we can have discussions and I'm not near as locked down, uh, as I, as, as I would like to think, you know, um, it's a misnomer, really. There's so yeah. much opportunity. Awesome. I love that. Yeah, I totally agree. We're, we're free if we're free in our minds and we're free from our disease. Right. Yeah. We have yeah. a million tools to connect with other people, you know, and, and yeah. just going and showing up at the same church basement room. is just a very, very little bitty, small piece of that. Agreed. Yeah. And so if people wanted to get in touch with you or maybe even be on your podcast, where would they go? How would they contact yeah. you? So I'll tell you the, on the podcast I do, uh, it's, it's where people come in and tell their stories much like this, but I do it more in free form. It's like when, uh, you know, I want to hear your story. We do it in a conversational method. Everybody's, uh, everybody's story is valuable and you're going to touch somebody. So if you think you don't have a story, you're wrong. You have a story and, and I want to hear it. So uh, you can get with me at, uh, if you, if, I have a bunch of different stuff and i'm trying to whittle it down to what's the best spiritual underground.org is a little website i have i don't do a good job keeping it up as i used to but it does have links to contact me and it has links to the various podcasting platforms i used to like try to put each individual episode up there as they came out and i just started putting links to the various podcasting platforms so and there's also a dan at spiritual underground.org that you can email me directly i am a very uh, accessible person. My name is Dan Reeves. If you find me on Facebook, you can find Spiritual Underground if you look for that. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm going to have these links in our show notes. If anybody Great. wants to contact Dan, um, absolutely check that out. But thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and your experience, strength and hope with us. Yeah. And thank you for your mission, your work that you do to help raise other people's awareness and vibration. And, you know, come in here. That's probably the one thing is if I'm off close to say, uh, uh, if you bumped into me prior, prior to recovery, you probably had a negative impact. If you bump into me today, you're going to have a positive impact. That's what I carry today. And I, that, I see that's what you carry too. And, and we can have a, you know, we can, we can change the world like this. Yeah, you absolutely can. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, leave a review and share it with your friends. You can visit us at EmergeLeadershipAcademy.com to take the quiz to find out what animal best represents your leadership style. And until next week, remember, you have so many leadership skills that you learned in recovery. Stop hiding because your contribution matters. Thank you.